There is a, there's a lot of things already planned this year. I have not got together our full BYF uh, auditorium Bible class, whichever word you want to use, schedule yet. Uh, there's a couple. Stop it. <laughs> Justin's back there making faces at me. Uh, uh, there's just too much stuff. Typically what happens, everybody makes their plans and then I plan my stuff around them. That's typically how that goes. So uh, we are planning a couple trips this year. Uh, where to is the problem and uh, I'll tell you more about that. If you don't have a Sunday school lesson, you should have one because I've been on the same Sunday school lesson now for like, what, three weeks now? Uh, you'll notice if you, it should say part one on the top there, uh, the two tabernacles part one. Uh, if you've got that set lesson, if you need a lesson, by the way, just raise your hand. Looks like, Justin, are you doing that? Okay, uh, Justin will give you a lesson. Uh, if you have a lesson, go to part two. There should be part one. You'll flip a few pages. You go to part two. Go to part two. That's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, I had a, I had all kind. Last week, I had all kind of information, and this has been another week where I had a little bit more time to study. So I had to, I had to stop. When I got to, we stopped last week in verse ten. We went to Hebrews nine verses one through ten, and we talked mainly about the two different concepts. One is comparing uh, the tabernacle uh, to the, uh, the old covenant to the new covenant, and the other is contrasting the old covenant to the new covenant. When you get to chapter eleven, when you get to verse eleven, that's where the contrast comes in. All through chapter uh, nine, uh, verse eleven through what is it, twenty-eight? I think it's twenty-eight verses. Yeah, through uh, through twenty-eight, uh, and then into verse ten and into chapter ten, there's this constant contrast. We've been saying, we've been saying, all of this compares to Christ. The, the, the bread it compares to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, the light compares to the fact that Jesus is the light. The gate compares to the, to, the way, uh, to the idea that Jesus is the way. And we've been doing all the comparison. When you get to this part of the chapter, now you're going to hit all the contrasts. Why is it? Here's the old covenant, but the, now the new covenant is different. And so that's where we are in the lesson. So let's look at Hebrews 9. I got to slow down. I'm all hyped up this morning. Hebrews chapter nine. Uh, we'll start reading. I'm just going to read those verses from 11 to 28. And then we're going to go back and talk about them. There's a couple sections in here as you as I read it. You'll notice uh, it's a little bit more difficult to explain if you don't take some time and really stop on it. And we'll do that in just a second. Look at verse 11. So I love the way verse 11 starts. You like that? Anybody notice the first two words of verse 11? Isn't that, isn't that a great? There's a lot of things I can say, and I'm glad I can say, but Christ, <laughs> you know, I'm a wicked sinner, uh, but Christ. Uh, we live in a world, a world full of sin and, and uh, with sinful men, but, but Christ, amen. I'm glad I can always say that. I love the way that starts. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. We're comparing the worldly tabernacle in verse 1 with the perfect tabernacle in verse 11. Not made with hands, that is easy to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, you can already see the contrast beginning, right? Uh, how much more? How much better is this? How much? You'll see the contrast all through this. Verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. These few verses in here are a little confusing if you don't understand what he's talking about, but I'll explain that in a second. Verse 16. For where a testament is, by the way, 
if, if I, I love the King James Version, but probably a better word for your understanding, for American audience understanding, for where a will is. Okay, how many of you, how many of you, know, how many of you have a will? We have a will, we've, we've done the, you know, all the legal, we have a will. We have a will, that's what he's talking about. Where there's a will, okay, uh, that's what he's talking about. Kind of, so kind of think of it that way. For where a testament, uh, verse 16, for where a testament or will is, there must also be the necessity of the death of the testator, okay? In other words, if I have a will, I have a will, right? I have already said in my will where everything goes if something should happen to me. Pretty much the basic concept is <laughs> everything goes to Becky. That's pretty simple, right? But every, Becky doesn't get everything right now. Why not? It's real simple. I'm still alive, right? And don't, don't suggest that it should change anytime soon. Okay, but if something should happen, if, you know, on the icy roads, you know, something happens and Becky and I both disappear, that's also in our will. It goes pretty much equally to our children and to their spouses. By the way, I had kind of an argument with our, our, uh, the person who did our will because uh, I included uh, my daughter and her husband and my son and uh, his wife. And I gave them all equal share, so to speak. And they said, you shouldn't do that. And I go, why shouldn't I do that? And they said, well, you, you don't normally don't include uh, the son-in-law or the daughter-in-law. And I go, why not? Well, what happens if down the road they get a divorce? And I said, they're not getting a divorce. Include them. It's in the will. That's my will. They don't get a divorce. My will says you can't get a divorce. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and the lawyer's saying, I know what you're saying, but that's not really a wise thing to do. And I said, do it anyway. Right? I've always... If something does happen in the future between my son and his wife or my daughter and her husband, they're still in my family. Biblically, the two became one, right? Anyway, I'm off on a tangent, aren't I? Okay, but anyway, you get the idea. All right, so does, it make, does verse 16 make more sense when you read it that way? Okay, that's what he's saying. For where a will is, there must also be a necessity of the death of the person who wrote the will. It doesn't mean anything. It does mean something. My will is legal and forcible, but it doesn't really go into force until what? Until I die. All right, verse 17, for a testament or will is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the tester liveth. My kids can't, do, my kids can't come to my house and start taking things. But in the will, you said, well, the will has no force until after I die. Okay, so understand that. Uh, maybe that'll help you a little bit with those verses. Uh, verse 18, wherein neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath, in, uh, which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels and, uh, of the ministry. You know, we, we read stuff like that, and a lot of times we just kind of go through it. You do understand when we're talking about this, we're talking about literal, there was literal blood of literal animals who were killed that the high priest would dip his hands in and sprinkle that blood, okay? I know people a lot of times get all upset nowadays, you know, we don't want to talk about the blood, uh, that's gross. Yeah, well, it, has, it is gross. Uh, if you think sometime, I don't know if you ever thought about this, Ken, if you can think about the tabernacle in the wilderness and you can think about the brazen altar and the calves and the goats and the bulls and all the sacrifice, literally like a slaughterhouse in there. 
He's like, that's, that's horrible. That's gross. It, exactly. That's the whole point. It's a picture of how gross and how miserable our sinfulness is. It is a gross, horrible thing. Right? And only the, only the true blood of Christ could fix that. Anyway, so uh, just think about that. So this is actually happening. When we were reading it, that actually happened. There was actually a high priest. Uh, at first Aaron, later on some of his sons, who became high priest, who actually, these things actually happened. This is not a story. This is a true thing that happened. Okay? Verse 21, moreover, he sprinkled the blood with the, ta- he, moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Any good Baptist preacher shouldn't have any problem preaching that passage, okay? Uh, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. You can't take away sin. Verse 23, it was therefore necessary that that the patterns of things, and again, we've been looking at the patterns, the images, the examples, okay? So the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So on earth, that temporary covering temporarily purified those things, but it didn't fix it completely, right? But when in, in heaven, it did, okay? So, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. Uh, I'm going to make this a little simple for you in a second. Uh, verse 24, for Christ is not entered in the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered into the body uh, entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world. Now, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed to man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, a lot of reading, a lot of complicated stuff. But see if I can make this a little simple. I, I like what it says here, but, but Christ. So remember what we're doing here. We're looking at, first of all, when we looked at the first part, we looked at the comparison, right? The old, te- the old covenant and the new covenant, considering, and we talked about the similarities, right? We talked about how the bread represents the bread of Christ, I mean, how, uh, the bread of life, and how the light, you know, the light of the world and the door. The, uh, okay, we looked at the similarities. So what he's doing in the second half of this chapter, now he's looking at the things that are different, the contrast, the old and new, and he's considering the differences. For instance, we'll go through this uh, pretty quick. So the old covenant, in the old covenant, the time for the tabernacle and the temple have now passed away. Which stood, he said, until the time of Reformation, uh, chapter 9, verse 10. What does that mean? The time of Reformation until the time of the new covenant was, was completed. So when Christ died on the cross, the use for the old tabernacle, the use for the temple is no longer there. It, it, it's not pointing to something that's going to come. It's already happened. Okay. We, instit- we have new institutions now. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper to point to, to the death and uh, resurrection and burial of Christ. And so in the old covenant, he took away the first, chapter 10, verse 9. Why did he take away the first? That the second may be established. That's the second time. So the contrast is the old tabernacle, the old temple stood until the Reformation. And then he f- took that away. But then Christ being become a high priest of good things to come, that he may establish the second. So there's the contrast. The old is done away with. The new is now in force. Again, he's trying to explain this to the Jewish congregation. To you, to me, the new has always been in force. Have you ever thought about that? There has, in our lifetime, there has never been a change. There will be, by the way, there will be a change. When will that happen? 
Well, the rapture, if you've been paying attention to pastor, at the rapture, there will be a chance. By the way, I'm still, how many of you are still trying to, I, I've never ha- thought about, how many of you were here when pastor talked about the rapture and then a possible time frame before the beginning of the, it made sense, but in my mind, uh, I have to really think that through. How many of you are like me, you kind of go, last Sunday I was going, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. Let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. Uh, anytime somebody says something different than what I was, I was born and trained into, so to speak, uh, when I got saved when I was 16 and then Bible college, when you say something different, I have to go, whoa, wait, wait, what's the Bible? What, what's the, uh, by the way, I, I didn't have a problem with it after I really thought about it. But what happened to me last Sunday when pastor did that is what's happening in this church. It's something different that they don't, they're like, what, wait, what? Can you, in, in, a, in a big sense. So here's the number two. So the old covenant was, a, was used with a worldly sanctuary. And in verse 11, he says, it was a building and it had carnal, or, the word carnal, fleshly, it had carnal ordinances or fleshly or outward circumstances. Everything was done there that you could see. It was all out in the open. It was all in a, there was an actual building you could touch. By the way, the church does not replace the temple or the tabernacle. Nope. What replaces the ter- ta- tabernacle and the cham- temple? It's the body of Christ. It's our belief and concept into that. So in the new covenant, there's a greater and more perfect tabernacle. That's Jesus Christ himself. Not made with hands. And it's not a building. It's actually what? It's actually a body. Chapter 10, verses 5 and verse 10. A spiritual inward commitment, not an outward ceremony. The outward ceremony doesn't point to your faith. The inward commitment to Christ. When I was 16, I prayed and asked Christ to save me. I, as much as I knew how, I confessed my sins. I was sorry for my sin. I asked Christ to forgive me. I put my faith in what he did on the cross to save me. That was something I did inwardly. You said, but afterwards you were baptized and you joined the church. Baptized, getting baptized and joining the church had nothing to do with the salvation decision. Right? It was an inward commitment. In the Old Testament, you could see it all outwardly. Right? So it's a little bit of a change there. He, another contrast is the old covenant. There was a worldly tabernacle which was dedicated with the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop. But in the new covenant, the, Hebrew, the heavenly tabernacle was dedicated with better, I like this phrase, isn't that a great phrase, better sacrifices than these. We, we, have, a, we have a much better, I am so thankful that I don't have to have a collection of goats and bulls in my backyard. Although now in our economy, that might not be a bad idea, you know, but not for sacrifice. Uh, Our sacrifice is much better than those. Our sacrifice is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. His death, burial, and resurrection. So Old Covenant, again, they're contrasting. And he continues this throughout the whole chapter. So in the Old Covenant, the Holy of Holies, uh, the high priest offered the blood of others. High priest did not go into the, the tabernacle and offer his own blood. He offered the blood of others, uh, bulls, goats, calves, whatever. In the new covenant, in the heavenly tabernacle, Christ offered his own blood by the blood of Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 19 says. So all you see, you see what he's doing here with the contrast now? He gave you all the comparison, how it's the same and how it was pointing to this and how this represented this and how this represented that. And now he's saying, but it's better. It's so much better. Look at the difference here and look at the difference here. And he's trying to get this Jewish, con- this Jewish congregation to see. And by the way, just so you know, Orthodox Jewish congregation still doesn't see it. Still, that, that they don't accept Christ as their Messiah. They don't accept the New Testament, which is hard for me as a Bible-believing Christian to look at the Bible and read the Old Testament 
and compare the truth of the New Testament with it and see the blend and see the unity in that and not, I mean, I'm like, how can you not get it? Well, you know, uh, spiritual blindness is, uh, is a true thing. Amen. Anybody ever, anybody ever knew anybody who claimed to be saved was raised in a good Christian home and they get away from God and they start doing things? You ever ask yourself, how can they do that? Well, sin is deceitful and you can be blind. It is amazing. It is amazing how blind you can be to your own sin. Well, they were blind to this truth that it was really a struggle. And all the Hebrews is trying to do is get them to come to that concept. So another another contrast. He said those sacrifices were offered continually and they only covered sin. In the New Testament, Christ offered his blood once, one sacrifice. I love chapter 10, one sacrifice for sin forever. He does not have to reenter into the holy place. He does not have to die again. If he did, by the way, like one of the verses there in chapter, I think it's verse 26 or 27. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Verse 26. For if he suffered in the foundation, he would continue to have suffered from the foundation. If he died for sin, if his blood wasn't effective enough to pay for all of our sin, he would continually have to die and die and die and die and die, just like those calves did. But his blood was perfect. And without sin. Right. Now, here's another little thing you need to understand theologically. If he was just a man and he died for us, even if he, listen to me, even if he was a perfect sinless man and he died for us, how many people could he die for? One. He could take the place of one person if he was a perfect sinless man. That's why we have to, you have to believe in the deity of Christ, not not because of this theological reason, but because the biblical, the Bible teaches it. But it, he was not a man who died. He was a God who died perfectly. And because he was God come in the flesh, he could die for the sins of the whole world. Past world, present world, future world. You can't, you can't separate Jesus from the deity of Christ or uh, I'm hoping I'm the one he died for then. Because he couldn't have died for us all. Okay, so understand that one sacrifice, four sins forever. Another contrast in the old covenant, the difference in the sacrifice, the animal's life was taken from it. How many of you know, how many of you know there were no bulls, there were probably no goats that I know of that volunteered and said, hey, 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 take me, take me, take my life. No, Uh, I don't think that happened. I think they were just like any other animal when they figured out what's about to happen. uh, They weren't real happy about it. It was not a volunteer. But the contrast is Jesus freely gave his life who through the eternal spirit offered himself. He wasn't, somebody didn't come get him or force him. You and I both know that they, they would have never crucified him had he not desired to be crucified. Had he not himself given himself. Like he said, I could call a league of 10,000 angels. By the way, that would have been pretty cool. Let's just... Wouldn't you? The Roman soldiers all around, all of a sudden 10,000 angels and that whole deal's over. He could have done that, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Because he loved you. He loved me. And he understood the need for that sacrifice. And so there's another, you're going to constantly see these contrasts. In the old covenant, in the old covenant, they could not make the comers there into perfect. Those sacrifices of bulls or goats or animals, they couldn't make you perfect. They could not take away sin. Uh, in the new covenant, the sacrifice, I love this, obtained eternal redemption. Isn't that a good phrase? I'm redeemed. How long am I redeemed? Somebody tell me. How long am I redeemed? When I was 16 years old back in 1973, 
when I was redeemed, what, was I redeemed when I put my faith in Christ? Yes or no? Am I still redeemed? Oh, but wait, you don't know what I've done between 1973 and 2024. How, how can you know if I'm still redeemed? Well, because my redemption wasn't temporary. What was my redemption? It was eternal. And it's still eternal and it will always be eternal. Sometimes the concept of eternal security blows my mind. I mean, I get it. I, I understand it. Mentally, it hits. But spiritually, sometimes it's like, wow. Why? Anyway, so you get the idea. Perfect. It couldn't make the sinners perfect. The, his sacrifice offered eternal redemption. This one offering hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You guys are going to enjoy chapter 14. I think chapter 10, right? Them forever that are sanctified. How long, how long are we going to be sanctified? Forever. It's a done deal. Amen? Already there. I thank God for that. Someday I'll be glorified. You know? I won't have to continually go to him and, you know, rehearse my sinfulness and ask God to forgive me so our relationship can be, uh, I mean, our fellowship can be restored. Uh, someday, uh, I won't just be sanctified. Someday, you guys don't believe this, but I'll be perfect. Why is that funny? Why would that make you laugh, Tom? It is a hard thing to think about, you know, but we'll be perfect. Here's another contrast, and it gets more and more, and I know, I know there's a lot of stuff here. Those sacrifices did not secure an internal inheritance. Now, all I did, listen to me. When you read, sometimes you read chapter 9, you get a little confused because he's going, he's putting this contrast between 9 and 10, and 10, we'll get back to it again. But in, he's constantly making this contrast. If you were an Old Testament Jew, if you were in, uh, alive during this time, that's exactly what you'd be doing. In your head, what he's saying, you're comparing to the Old Testament, right? You're comparing to the book of Leviticus or Exodus, and you're comparing it to those concepts, and you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, the Bible said this, God's word said this, and now he's saying, yes, that's exactly what it said, and here's exactly what it means. It's a beautiful idea. So they were like a testament or will before the death of the testator, okay? Uh, it was, uh, the will has no strength while the testator testator, that's a hard word to say, liveth, right? My will, my will is not in effect. It's written, it's legal, it's notarized, it's in my safe, my kids know where it is, they actually have copies of it, but does it, my will do them any good today? No. Nah. No, nah, it's, it's just there, right? The Old Testament did not the Old Testament sacrifice did not make those people clean. It did not obtain eternal inheritance. It gave temporary covering until what? Until the death happened. Now, here's a cool thing. So in the New Testament, Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. By the sacrifice of himself, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ over and over in chapter 10. Once for all. Well, that's a good phrase, isn't it? Once for all. It's a done deal. Okay, now... Here's the cool thing. I, I like what Dr. Wearsby said. This is a great statement. I, it's not, you know, some of you are looking. If you look at your notes, by the way, and you go where it says two tabernacles and you look on the bottom of the next page, page 85, you'll see some of these uh, contrasts, right? That's actually part of the lesson, but I got stuck there this week and this manufactured itself, okay? But he said, Dr. Wearsby said this. This is a great statement. He said, Christ had an eternal inheritance to give his church. And this inheritance is spelled out in the New Testament, which is technically Christ's last will and testament. Uh, you ever think of that? That's really what it is. 
That's, he, he, if you want to, the New Testament is the last will and testament. Here's the amazing thing, right? Uh, for, for the will to take effect, he had to die. Here's the amazing thing. Christ died to make the will effective and then came back from the dead to administer his state personally. He is the mediator of the New Testament. He is not only the one who died, who wrote the will. He's not only the one who died uh, so the will would come into effect. He's also the one now who carries the will out. In other words, I don't have to worry about going to heaven because I'm in the will. And who guarantees that I'm going to get what I'm, I, he promised me? The one who died for me also is the one who guarantees it for me. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so as you go through these passages, it's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, the old covenant, the high priest entered once entered in the Holy of Holies on the earth. This was a pattern of things in the heavens. But in the new covenant, Christ has not entered in the holy place which was made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear before the presence of God for us. What they did on that earthly concept was only about the earth. Christ entered in the Holy of Holies in heaven. Now, there's some, there's some uh, well, I, I'm going to get ahead. I, we'll talk about that in chapter 10. I, I, I'm trying so hard not to give you chapter 10 this morning because chapter 10 and chapter 9, you know, they, they're just blend together so well. But if I get too far ahead next week, you'll be going, he said that last week. And, you know, so, and so uh, Christ entered the holy place. Another, an, another one. Uh, the high priest came out of the tabernacle to bless the people. The high priest went into the holy place. Now, holy of holies, think of it this way. The high priest went into the place that represented the presence of God, right? The Old Testament tabernacle, uh, you know, the, the, the pillar of fire and the, cloud, the pillar of cloud. When he went in there, he was literally in the presence of God. Now, he didn't see God as God. He saw the pillar of fire, but he was in the presence of God. Here's the, here's the thing. Think about this. He couldn't stay there, right? He had to leave. He could only come there once a year and then he left. In the new covenant, Jesus will come again the second time without sin the salvation to take his people with him to heaven with him. In the meantime, where is he? He's still in the presence of God. He did not have to leave the holy place. He is in the holy place because he is God. The high priest did a great thing. Christ did a greater thing. And, and we could do this all morning. Uh, atonement or a covering for sin had to be made in the old covenant once a year, year by year, every year, right? Every year on the day of atonement, the high priest would have to go through this ceremony every year. In the new covenant, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How often? Once. You, you like the words here? Once for all. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Christ by one offering hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Over and over and over again in chapter 10, you're going to hear the same concept. Uh, in the old covenant, the high priest would eventually die, right? It's the point of the man wants to die. That high priest who offered those sacrifices, he could only do that as long as he was alive. Eventually he would die and have to be replaced. Our high priest isn't going to be replaced. Amen. Our high priest will never die because he continued, he continueth ever, he hath a high and unchangeable priesthood, right? And so the contrast is just so great. And uh, I could go on, I just stopped there. Uh, but you get the idea. How many of you see now the comparison and the contrast? It's fairly obvious. I mean, you can't hardly miss it. And if you take those chapters, don't read chapter 9 and try to understand chapter 9 without chapter 10. Or without chapter 7, or without chapter 8. The whole contrast to a Jew, if ever I had to do a study with Orthodox Jews, this, this is the book I'd be in, right? 
Could you imagine being in a, Jew, a Jewish synagogue and teaching this? Boy, they would probably throw me out before I got halfway through. But at least, at least I'd be able to say, look, I'm quoting the Old Testament here. I'm telling you what the Old Testament said, and I'm, tell, I'm showing you the fulfillment. I love what Hebrews 7.25 said. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He, he's still there. He's still making intercession. He's still on the throne. Isn't that amazing? I mean, some amazing stuff here. So as we get into chapter 10, uh, I'm going to hit a lot. We're going to talk a lot about eternal security. I don't know about you. When I got saved... The two things I struggled with, they were only two real Baptist things that I, I had a problem with you Baptists. Okay? Now, I, did, I wasn't raised technically anything. Uh, I went to a Pentecostal church with my grandmother. I went to a Nazarene church uh, a few times with my mom and dad. I went to a Southern Baptist church a few times with mom and dad. They were not faithful church members, and they, they, they don't mind me saying they, they are now. Okay? But they weren't at the time. And so I really didn't have, you know... By the time I was 16, you say, what were, if you said, what were you, I, didn't, I couldn't say I was Catholic or Baptist or Pentecost. I really, couldn't, I really wasn't anything. I just really didn't have, I mean, there were things that my grandma told me, and I thought, well, that's probably true, because my grandmother was a good uh, Christian and, and really lived a good godly life. And I know some of you have problems with that, because she was, no kidding, she was full-time Pentecostal holiness, Right. You say, well, she couldn't have been saved. Well, you're sadly mistaken. My grandmother knew Christ as a personal Savior. I have no question about that. We had a few debates on tongues, though. Especially after I got saved, went off to Bible college and came back. Uh, I would sit down with grandmother and she'd ask me questions. And I'd say, well, Grandma, I don't agree with that. And, but you had to have, I have to be honest, first, early on when out of Bible college, she'd smack me upside the head with the Bible. She knew it better than I did. And her interpretation, I didn't understand and couldn't fully de defend my position. Uh, got better at it really fast. Well, why do I believe it? I had to ask myself, why do I believe that? Why do I believe tongues are no longer effect? That was one of the big things I struggled with. Because for me to say tongues were not no longer an effective gift of the Holy Spirit, I had to say grandmother was wrong. Can I tell you something? That was hard for me. It was. It was really because I, I love my grandmother and she was a godly woman. So for me to say, yes, but she was wrong. That was hard to look back and say that generation didn't get it right. Who am I to say that? I had to determine for myself. There was a long time, even when I was in Bible college, that I was like, yeah, I don't think Baptists got that one right. I think they still have that because I heard my grandma speak in tongues. And she must have been doing it right. I don't agree with that now, obviously, you know where I stand. But that was one. But you know the one that really struck, that I struggle with? Eternal security. That really, that was a battle for me. You mean I can get saved and then I can live like ever, how I want? That, by the way, is a fallacy. If you got saved so you could live however you want, you probably didn't get saved. You're not putting your full faith and confidence in Christ and you don't really understand what he did for you. But no, I, when you truly get saved, you don't want to sin. You're not looking for an excuse to sin. You're looking for power to stop sinning. Amen? That, that's what I'm looking for. I get frustrated. I get irritated. I get angry with myself when I sin. I think that's probably a good sign. Right? I think I should be convicted. I think I should be miserable. I think I should. When I lose close fellowship with God, I think I should notice it. And I do. That was a hard thing for me. So that's probably one of the things I emphasize a lot in my ministry 
because it was so hard for me to get there. But when I got there, it's pretty obvious. Oh, wait, this isn't what grandma taught her. And this is what my parents taught her. This isn't what Baptist church taught her. This is what the Bible says. One sacrifice for sin forever. I attained an eternal inheritance once and for all. And you'll hear that over and over in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a great chapter for that. But you better understand chapter 9 before you get there. All right, we'll go ahead and stop here. We'll get back to the rest of it uh, next Sunday morning and uh, we'll move on to chapter 10. Lord, we thank you for uh, what Christ has done for us. It's so simple to look at, at what the Old Testament saints had to look at, had, had to live through and what we have to live through. It, how foolish we are not to be thankful. How foolish we are not to see how the Old Testament is fulfilled in the new and that Jesus Christ is our Messiah. He is our Savior. And I pray, Lord, that we'll ever teach and preach that truth one sacrifice for sin forever. We ask it in his name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Worship service will start shortly.